live from the Virtual Summit, the Core presents Sales Training Bootcamp with Scott Foreman and Stuart Seidler. Today's topic, Profit and Loss for Branch Managers. Okay, so I want to welcome everybody. Um, this is the uh, P&L class for lenders, um, a.k.a. the most boring class in the entire summit. So myself <laughs> and my co-host, Stuart Sadler, are going to try to make this as interesting and as practical as possible. And we were talking about it, and we said, how can we make this fun? And Stuart said, you really can't make it fun. So instead, we loaded it up with a lot of tactics. And I think if you come away with this, with as many tactics as, as we put in there, um, you'll think this is a great class. So I'll tell you just a, a little bit about me. Um, I've been at the core for 11 years. Uh, I came in um, more broken than I am now, but but still very broken. Um, I was uh, it was right after 2008, 2009. My income went from 650 down to 275. I had a wife. I had two kids. I remember waking up every single morning thinking, how am I going to do this? I support my wife, support my kids. I know I can go get a job because no one's going to pay me that much money. Um, so I, uh, I joined the Corps, and um, I didn't do that great at it. My, my first six months, I think I had a problem with uh, surrendering. I think I had a lot of fear issues, a lot of trust issues. Um, I didn't trust that this was going to literally change my entire life. Um, uh, I got a call from Rick about halfway through the first semester, and I thought he was going to say, hey, you're doing pretty good because my income was going up. And instead, he said, um, at the end of the semester, we're going to cancel your contract and we're going to fire you. And I remember... I thought about it for a second, and I remember taking a minute or two, and I said, Rick, I said, because I was starting to sweat. I, I was scared. I did not want to not be part of something. You know, whatever I was doing wasn't working. And I said, I will surrender. I said, I will do what my coach says. I will make my calls. I will do everything. And about probably 20 seconds, 30 seconds goes by. Now my heart's beating. I'm in a sweat. Nothing, and then he hangs up on me. He hung up on me. I will never forget that. Now, a year later, he goes, I did that on purpose. I did that to get you motivated. But it's, um, it's, I'm from New York. I don't, I don't normally, I trust issues. I don't believe in a lot of things. And, um, and this program, uh, and it still teaches me today. Uh, so, um, just the, the two things that I've learned from this program is to be a grinder, which means do those theme days every single week without fail. And the second thing, which is really important, and if you look at any top producer, they will tell you that this is the number one thing, is the ability to implement quickly. What you learn is how fast you implement. So I've been a coach for about nine years, and a couple of years ago, I got the honor of coaching Stuart Sadler, um, and he was a broker, and I said, oh, his income is limited. He's going to be capped. Uh, I remember throughout the semester, um, his units going up, his personal budget, this guy handed in his homework on time. Um, I found out something about Stuart last night that I had no idea. 
even after coaching him for six months. He grew up on a shrimp boat. No, no, Bubba Gump. Like, he grew up on a shrimp boat. Um, just a, an amazing story, and so I am proud to introduce Stuart Saba. Scott, thank you so much. And honestly, it's so funny. The core, what I love about it, is no matter how much you grow, it's still such a humbling experience. So when I got to be a coach, and I'll tell the story on that, but my wife's like, are you nervous? And I'm like, no, I do all this day-to-day. I love it. Well, the P&L, I'd say it's probably one of my weakest things. So, of course, what class do I get assigned? The P&L. And it's something that's way better than it was two years ago. It's, it's getting better, but it's something I know I've got to focus time and energy on. So it's just interesting how you get humbled during this program, and I think we need that a lot, and I appreciate it. But kind of my story, I started the company 14 years ago out of my business partner's basement, 2006, left IT, pretty good salary, started out of the basement. The crash happened in 08, 09. We still grew at that point, and my joke was always I was too dumb to know the market was bad. I just, I've always been a grinder, so I just showed up and started grinding. But um, when my business really took a catapult is when I found the core four and a half years ago. I was doing probably $50 million in production, but I was only making about 400 to 450 because one of the first things that happened is me and my business partner owned the company 50-50, and we split everything, and he wasn't producing. So right out of the gate, Rick said, that doesn't work. You've got to change that. And I literally got a 30% increase right out of that. But what I used to explain to my wife, what I loved about the core, is I was trying to figure everything out on my own. And I used to say I was a builder, and I was having to build all the tools just to build the house. And it's just a proven system. Like, the quicker you will surrender and just do it the way Rick says, because it's annoying, but he is always right. Just go through and implement the way he does, and it works. But, Scott, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Like, you were my coach two years ago, and I, I saw you were the biggest earner, and I was just expecting a big ego to come with it. I really was. I was like a New York guy making this much money, this Southern guy. I don't know how this is going to go, but you are one of the most humble, helpful people I've ever met, and I know I'm a coach because of you. Like you gave me the drag in my semester. You you stood up for me, and you pushed me up there, man. I just can't tell you how honored I am to be able to teach this class with you. It's and just very humbling for me. Being a coach for Rick, uh, you learn a lot of humility, and you learn to be humble. So we don't have much of a choice, right, Stuart? Yes, for sure. All right, now I'm going to share my screen. I, we have a PowerPoint, then we're going to come out of the PowerPoint. Um, but I think there's – I wanted to give uh, – me and Stuart worked on this really hard. We wanted to give a lot of tactics because this is normally uh, a pretty boring class. So three takeaways from this class, okay? Number one, we want you to come out with P&L metrics, what your numbers should look like, and we're going to break it down by category. The second thing – is we have 10 tactics to maximize your P&L profits. Now, everybody's making a lot of money right now, but there's going to be a time when those margins are going to be cut down and you're going to be looking at ways to save on your P&L, and you should do it now because it's more money in your bottom line. And the third thing is how to financially manage the P&L. Now, we were in a uh, coaches meeting, and Roy said to us, it's great to have three things. But make sure there's one thing that you tell them that's the most important. And the most important, the number one takeaway is branch metrics. So during this presentation, we're going to highlight nine metrics. And I want to see who will pick up the nine metrics. Okay, and these are nine metrics that literally will change your P&L and that everyone should know. 
and then we'll do some uh, Q and A. So yeah, Scott. Before before yeah. we move on there, the big thing you hit on this class being boring. I think the first thing that's been my aha moment is we got to change our energy around this. We've got to realize that P and L is the tool that's going to make us the most money, and not just something we've got to go through. It's boring. We don't want to dig into it because it's one of those things that once you show the metrics, it's simple, but it's just not easy to take the time and energy. So what I'm personally focusing on, and what I want to share with everyone else, is we've got to realize how important it is and get as excited about this as we do about sales. Because I just feel like sales is exciting and sexy, but there's more money made on the P&L than there is on the sales side. So we just got to change the way we look at it. Let me show, we'll show a couple of examples. Um, so, so Rick's formula for branch managers, first of all, you got to be a great salesperson, right? He always talks about that. You got to be, um, that's your number one job, uh, a producing sales manager. Um, the second part, is being a great leader. Now, people that aren't branch managers, they're great salespeople, they're great leaders because they lead their team. And the third part, which is what we're going to talk about today, is being a great business person. So here's what we're going to do. Um, when myself and Stuart started working on this particular uh, PowerPoint, we wanted to highlight what our three job duties are. Now, I have worked on these three job duties, and I, I've literally, um, I put them together. Uh, it took me a long time. It took me years to figure out really what my three top job duties are. And when I talked to Stuart, he goes, those are mine. Those are exactly mine. So, and Scott, in, in, in complete transparency, mine were nowhere near as good as yours, and yours were exactly what I needed to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm changing that, and I've changed all my material to be yours as well because I had a general formula for it, but you, the way you lay it out is just dead on. Well, thank you. Um, so the first thing is the, our first job, number one job, right, is growth. So sales, lead generation, lead conversion, that's the number one thing as a manager that we have to focus on no matter what. So lead generation, we know, lead conversion, and we'll show you some metrics attached to that. But lead conversion now, we're, we're going to focus in on the core on a higher lead conversion, a higher pre-approval to funding conversion. The second part of being a branch manager is recruiting, right? So that's part of growth. Experienced LOs, MLAs, recruiting ops people, so growth. The second job duty is retention, and we're all working on that. We've all worked our teams to death. Training, um, we do 30-minute daily training every single day. You know, I don't run it. Our, our branch operations person does. Uh, they literally have a meeting for 30 minutes every single day. And some, it's a round robin, and somebody is the one that presents one of the different, one of the other LPs. And the second part of retention is culture and to work on your culture. So that's the retention is the second one. And the third one is what we're going to talk about today is profitability. Managing expenses, and this part is really important, have a perfect process execution. You need to have, everybody needs to know what your top three job duties are. Everybody needs to know what your file flow is and what happens when things go wrong. Yeah, I agree. And Scott, jump, Scott, can you jump back to that one real quick? I want to do a little bit of table work on that slide because I think it's important. Everyone pull out a pen and paper real quick. And on these six items, give yourself a one through ten very quickly on each one of these. 
all six of them and post in the comments the area you need the most work on so we can just see kind of where everybody is with everything. So one through 10, how are you on sales? How are you on recruiting, training, culture, expenses, and process? I like what I'm seeing. Yeah. And it's kind of what we talked about, right, Scott? Like most of the people that do this are good at sales. They're working on recruiting and getting better. Number two, they're continuing to grow. And then, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's good that you decided that you had to do that because um, I think these three things, um, I've changed it so many times and I've kept this for the past two years. And I literally work off these three top job duties. Um, all right. So here's the p and Really quick, um, which we've all seen it, um, we're going to give you some tactics for it. Just so you know, to anybody that's new that hasn't seen it, you know, it's in four parts, right? So part one is expensive, right? Remember, it's, it's such an easy concept, right? Your revenue has to be higher than your expenses, and that's how you make your profit. This is one of my actual branches, by the way. Um, Stuart, under expenses is uh, is your rent, your telephone, um, office supplies. What else comes under that? Uh, your expenses, Scott, it's just your main one is going to be your support staff that you're spending the most money on, but it's just everything that it takes to run your branch. It's every line item except you're not counting your um, your LOs. And LO, the reason why we don't count, so it's expenses, okay, but not commission in there. Because commissions are a cost of goods, right? And the second part is my favorite part. So you have section two, which is your income, your revenue. So in this particular model, um, this is the profit they made and the basis points they made. And they made $22,000 in processing fees. And then section three, which is right over here, which is your personal. So this is the branch manager's personal income. Section four is we just kind of put everything all together. All right, so we take, if you see the arrow, we take section two, we take section three, we add it up, it's 313000 We subtract our expenses out of there, and this branch manager made $221,292. Now, this is a simple P&L because Rick does everything in a simple manner. So... Obviously, this is what the profit was. This is just a highlight of it. But if you look over here, it's the past three months. Okay, so your past three months of income goes on your P&L. The second part is your year-to-date income. And the third one, Stuart, is projected year-end income. How do you calculate that? You just take whatever you made, divide it by how many months you are in the year, and then divide that by 12. I mean, multiply that by 12. Great. Okay. Now, the good part about this also is on the bottom over here. On the bottom, it says, this is what your expenses should be. 85 basis points, revenue 125. We'll talk about this a little bit later. And your net profit should be 40. Um, this particular branch made 71 basis points of, uh, of expenses made uh, 163 basis points of profit and netted a profit of 91 basis points. And I'll tell you a story about this particular branch. So this branch did $120 million, a little bit to $120 million last year. 
I had them cut 20 basis points off their P&L. It wasn't that hard. The branch manager for the year netted an extra $240,000. So the projected year-end income for this particular branch manager is $2.445 million. And, Scott, I told you this while we were going through it. Everyone write this down. You need to email the concierge and get a copy of this. And what I'm doing is I'm printing it out, and I'm going line item by line item to see how this lines up with how many basis points I'm spending on rent, on telephone, on every piece. And I'm going to identify two or three, and I'm going to start trying my best to map them to what it looks like. Because 91 basis points is super strong. It is And, like, yes. Okay. Now. Your parts are, are branch metrics. You're going to get nine literally implementable branch metrics. So the first thing, we talked about it right over here. Okay, 85 basis points should be all your expenses, all your expenses, minus commission. Now, generally, our staff runs about 40 basis points or less. Our rent is about six basis points. That means all other expenses, advertising, phone, absolutely everything else, should be 39 basis points or less. So that's 85 basis points. And as you can see, this particular branch, because I think they're doing more loans because of COVID, uh, is down to 71. Anytime you get under 85 basis points, Stuart, okay, you're going to be printing money. Um, the second one is 125 basis points of revenue. Now, when I add up these numbers, I'm sure you know what we're going to do, and 40 basis points of net profit. Everybody asks, hey, listen, I got a new branch, or how do I set my branch margins? So right here, it's a, it's a total of 250 basis points. Now, what, the way I'm going to price my loans and my branch is I'm in a pretty competitive market. So I'm going to set my blended margin at 300 basis points because there's no way that every one of my people are going to lock perfectly. We're not going to give uh, lender credits. So I always give myself a 50 basis points because I don't want to net less than 40 basis points of net profit. Okay. And, Scott, to jump, to jump in really here, and that's another big aha for me. So you and I have talked about it. I've been a broker, and I'm transitioning into being a mini correspondent. But as a broker, I'm capped at 250. And the expenses I've gotten down really good. Like we had 68 basis points last month. In the last three months, we've been averaging under 70. But I'm limited because, you know, in the broker model, I could only make 250. I pay 125. It gives me very little wiggle room if we're not pricing everything perfectly. So I love the model of getting at least 300 basis points to take into the account for everything else. Because you got to admit right now, all of our expenses are lower just because we're, we're doing so much more volume, right? At some point, once all the fixed cost is covered, then that's not going to be long term. So just keeping that tight and having the ability to make a little more on the revenue side is a big thing for me to work on right now. Right. Now, this particular branch does about 25% government loans. So it's going to allow them, I think they're at uh, 400 basis points. So on their conventional, it's going to allow them to put in their conventional margins probably about 240 around there. Okay? And that's where they're going to price it out to be super competitive and still have a blended margin of 300. 
And that's what I look at for a branch. But if you really want to know, this is what we have to look at. Okay, now, staffing metrics. We've been talking about this in the core. We've been talking about this in, uh, in a lot of our classes. Team metrics, we've talked about it today. If your loan amounts are over 250, it's five deals per person. If it's under 250, it's six deals per person. And by the way, at the end of this, there's going to be a test to see if you all got the nine metrics, the nine top metrics. Okay, now, this is really important. I could literally tell you how your branch is doing just by looking at your body count. So your body count, now this is for literally every breathing person in your branch is two and a half to three and a half loans per employee. Okay, Stuart, how many loans did you do last month? We did 212. 212. How many people do you have? See, we only have 42, so I'm still understaffed. So I definitely, um, my experience has been suffering. So, so this is so, now, if I'm coaching Stuart right now, you're at, you're at five instead of 200. So you're at five loans. So like you just said, and I appreciate you saying this, Automatically, you know, you, there's no way you are delivering great service. Now, what's the yes. thing that's going to win going into when it gets a little bit slower? What's the number one thing that is going to win and beat out our competitors? When we go into a slower market? Yeah, the client experience, right? And you can Yes, for sure, 100%. So automatically, I mean, the first thing I do is I look at what the total body count is. All right? Now, and someone, someone's asking real quick, Scott, I don't want to stop, but several people did. LOs do go in your body count. So I just want to address it because two people came up. Yep. LOs, um, processors, if you pay for them, if you don't pay for them, I don't include them. Right? If, you're, if your company pays for them, um, then you're probably not running a net P&L. But if your company pays for them, um, they, they don't count. Okay? Now, yeah. pipeline efficiency um, – we talked about having a, a great process, right? Um, so LP1s. LP1s can take 50 new leads every single month. They can carry a pipeline of 125. So what do you think happens, Stuart? Okay, you know the last couple of months, the leads are off the charts. LP1s now have 65 and new leads and they just can't handle it. They just can't handle it. They can't give a great client experience. So this is something I've talked about with a lot of coaches, and it's 50 new leads a month, and it's a pipeline of 125. Now, the big question is, well, what about my LP2 contract to close? All right, so LP2 contract to close, their closing metric is 18 to 25. So it's a minimum of 18, and really, it's a maximum. And I want to tell you just a really quick story. Um, it was always 35 was my maximum because of COVID. And because they've been producing at such a high level, I raised it to 40. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work, so I'll let you know. But they've been running between 35 and 40 in their pipeline. They can't run more than that. They can't do Tuesday updates. They can't deliver great service. What, and Scott, big, big, what, how many yeah, big, have your processors, LP2s? 
Yes, I would agree. So I always thought it was 30 to 35, and now they're able to manage a little bit more. And I think it's raised the bar for everybody, Scott. So I do think we can do a little more, but we've got to monitor it and just make sure that we're not starting to give the bad client experience. The big thing for me, guys, when I'm looking at the last two slides Scott went over, if you've been in the core, you've heard every one of these metrics a 100 times. And I don't know, like I hear stuff, but I'm not implementing stuff. And it just is just the simple things that we need to do is what makes the biggest result. So just hearing something and seeing the slide, it sounds super simple. We got to really look at our business. And one of my big things this year, Scott, and you and I have talked about it, is Rick's analogy of you can't sit too many people in your restaurant has been one of the biggest ahas for me this year. Because this has been the first year where we're usually focused on leads, leads, leads. And I think everyone really got more than they could manage. And then all of a sudden, our client experience really started taking a beating. So it's like getting in line with these has been huge for me. And I've been trying to slow down sales two months ago. We're caught back up now. But just by looking at this, you know when you're going to start getting a bad experience. And you know what comes along with the bad experience? Unhappy employees. They know they're not doing a good job. They're already overworked. So then your culture starts going. And then, you know, we always used to say more leads fixes all problems. It's not really the case right now. Like, more leads is breaking stuff. So we've really got to look at both ends of the metrics, right? Yeah. What are some of the top reasons that employees leave you? What? I, I couldn't hear you. What did you say? What are some of the top reasons why an employee would leave you? A lot of times it's they don't understand their job. They don't know if they've done a good job. If you tell them, hey, listen, you got to close a minimum of 18 loans, and they close 20 loans, you are the you. That is fantastic. You celebrate with them. If they close yep. under eighteen, you work with them. But they want to know. Hey, listen, eighteen is my number. I know if I do eighteen, I have done my job. I'm doing a great thing. If I get a CCR, I am doing a great thing. So we'll talk about that a little bit more too. Absolutely. But to answer your question, if they don't think they're doing a good job, they will leave because they'll feel like they're working hard and still not getting recognition, and then it just becomes something that they start to not enjoy anymore. Right. And and so remember, at the beginning, we talked about there are uh, nine tactics that we want you to get out of this. So this is the last of the tactics. There'll be a couple of more things that we want you to know, but the most important tactics to really run your branch have been uh, the other tactics that we just talked about. So obviously, the number one thing is to increase sales, right? Generate more leads and convert more leads, but how do we measure that? Okay? So you, how do you really measure your conversion? There's two things that we focus on in my office. Number one is the lead traffic, right? So your lead to transaction. Now, the core has a minimum of 35. I like it to be 45 or higher. Ours is running around 54. I thought I heard Rick say something in one of our meetings that he, he wants it like 60 or 70 percent. I mean, if you think about he it, did. it really should. He did say that, right? I wasn't just dreaming that. Yes. I didn't see that, yes. but maybe that's why. Um, you know what? If you work on your lead conversion, your, your lead to transaction, right? And how do you work on that, right? Do so you work on, you know, the, the entire process? You want to get your realtors to give you better leads. Every lead you get, you should send out a new lead video. They're meeting you over the phone. They haven't seen you, right? So that's something that, that I know that we're going to be working on. Um, you can expect this in the core. 
So the second one I'm going to show you on converting more leads is the most important. I have a big screen in my office, and then I have a bunch of big screens throughout my office, and it has only a few metrics on there. The next one is the most important. Pre-approval of the funding. So pre-approval of the funding, if it's less than 63%. So I want you to think about this now. When you do a pre-approval, what happens? You, they already said, hey, I'm going with you. I'm pulling you, I'm going to let you pull your credit. They're going to send you pay stubs, your ass, their asset statements. I mean, they are yours. So if you measure that, now you need six months. You can't just do it in a month. So here's my challenge to everybody when you get back after, after today is take a look at all your pre-approvals that you've done from January through the end of October. And divide it by your closing. If it's under and, and guys, write this down. This is just eye opening. Like I have focused so much the last two years on hard selling pre approvals and making sure everyone get it. But Scott, I've never tracked this metric. I've always did lead to close, and I'm usually 38 to 41 percent on lead to close. But to your point, these are the people that if they if they did a pre approval, they were referred right. We got their credit, we got all their documents. Like they gave us everything on a platter. So that is just such a huge metric to to look at very like all the time. This but this one is more even more alarming if it's low, right? Because it tells yeah. you to look at anybody want to take a guess? Somebody write in the chat. Okay, what is this gonna if if it's under sixty three percent? It tells you to work on one thing. Anybody want to guess that, what that one thing is? I see Julie Johnson right there. Oh, who wrote that? Yeah, hey, everybody. So, all right. So that's exactly what it tells you. It tells you you have to work on your follow-up. Now, I want you to think about this, right? Hold on, get that follow-up. All right, think about it. Um, I coached a bunch of people last week. We did this exercise. They were around 50%. Now, think about that. 100% of those people said, Stuart, I love you. Here's my pay stuff. Here's my asset statement. Pull my credit. Here's my divorce decree. And literally, after you took their application, after your whole team did all that work, 50% of them said, you know what, Stuart? I don't love you anymore. I love somebody else. So this is the most important metric. Um, we're running around 71%. So I set a goal for everybody. I want to, I want to get up to 75%. And remember, you can have about 10% of fallout, but this is the number one thing. Um, when we talk about the client experience and your follow-up, you've got to work on a great follow-up, and it's got to happen every single time. And that, I believe, is the key to having a great branch and having a, a branch that is super profitable because now they're not working on a lot of things that don't close. Well, Scott, think about the beauty of this, too, is if you're doing the theme days, you're doing your pre-app calls every Wednesday, but all of us are getting 100 to 200 leads, and there's just a lot to follow up with. So if you're going to follow up with something, you should follow up with a person that has said, here's everything, and this is what you need to do, and then you get your team to make sure anyone that was just pre-qualified, they're still chasing dots for the pre-approval. But if you're going to do your call block and have the most bang, these are the people you need to stay in front of and should be pretty easy to track if you because you've got to get system in place. Absolutely. So there were nine metrics now. So I want to 
we, we talked about this, myself and Stuart, and we want to make this literally the best penal class that you've ever went to. Um, it's important to come away with these tactics. So I'm just going to go over them one more time. So on your P&L, 85 basis points of total expenses minus commissions. The second thing on your P&L is a minimum of 125 basis points of revenue. So if you have uh, your comp, if your blended margin is 300, you pay your LL comp, and you should have a minimum of 125 basis points left over, and 40 basis points, number three, is 40 basis points minimum of net profit. Number four, right, it's, it's file flow, it's efficiency, it's five deals per person, right? That's a great metric. Rick has used that for years. Six deals if it's under 250. Number five, two and a half to three and a half loans per employee. If you're at two and a half, you're making some money. Not super efficient, but you're making some money. If you're at two, you're probably not making money. Your branch is probably losing money. If you're at three, you are making money. And if you're at three and a half, we like to call it you are printing money. If you're at four or above, you're greedy and you're not delivering a great client experience. Okay? Number six, LP1. 50 new leads a month, not 55, not 60, 50 leads a month. Their maximum pipeline is 125 for them to do a good job. LP2, their closing metric is 18. We're trying to push them to 25, but if the minimum is 18 and their pipeline, it can't carry more than 35 or 40. And number eight, your lead tracker. It's a minimum of 35. I did put in there what Rick said. Everybody, 70% is what Rick says. I love it. Okay, it's it's just efficiency. It's getting rid of clients that are sending you horrible leads. And number nine, pre-approval of the funding, minimum of 63%. So you're going to go back. You're going to do all your pre-approvals from January through October, divided by your closing. And the number's going to stare you right in the face. And if it's under 63%, it's you must work on that right away. Your goal should be 70 to 75. So if you learn nothing else, those nine metrics, that's what we want you to walk away with. Um, all right, so we talked about staffing metrics. Um, Another thing that we've done, uh, me and Stuart talked about this, um, we share an LP1 between loan officers. Um, another thing we've done is a we've used a uh, tiered loan officer comp plan. Stuart, do you do that now? I do not right now, but I, based on this class, I'm going to look at doing that. I love the idea of it for sure. We do a tiered, um, how we pay for their LPs is tiered, but not on their comp plan. Okay, just a it's just a great thing. Um, have loan officers pay towards their uh, LP ones. Uh, if they're doing under seven loans a month, um, they're going to pay towards their LP one. If they're doing over seven loans, I want you to go out. You're a rock star. I want you to be. I want you to do fifteen. So I'm going to pay for it. Um, all right. So this is really important. Uh, loan pricing. 
okay? You have to look at pricing as close to par as you can, uh, increasing your fees for processing, for application, and making sure that you collect all your fees. This is really important. We have um, somebody in the core that's, that is in my company. Um, when I looked at his P&L, he literally had like $25,000 in appraisal cost. That is absolutely crazy. And he wasn't paying attention to that. You should really have, unless you're paying for a reinspection, you shouldn't pay for any appraisal cost. Uh, we talk about increasing your fees, but pricing, having a loan pricing policy is really, really important. So we have one in the office. Yeah, and Scott, a couple of things there. So Rick always says when you get super busy, all the bases go out the window. Like I've had to constantly stay on my loan officers about wanting to cut deals on refinances and stuff right now that makes no sense at all. And the appraisal cost is something that I got bid on in the past where we had $5,000 for the appraisal fees one month and no one was collecting everything. So it's just it's just, it's monitoring the details. Right. The answer to that is you, you get all your appraisal uh, up front. They pay for it up front 100% of the time, right? Unless you're doing your brother's loan, and then you can, you know, you can let them slide a little. Um, and I'll, I'll get over and see who has that. Derek, uh, pricing policy. So I'll, I will talk about that also. Um, increase your branch margins. Now, you can't change LO comp, right, all the time. I think it's uh, every 90 days. But you could train yep. your change your branch margins literally every day if you wanted. I mean, your back office might yell at you a little bit. But sometimes, I know Jeremy does this. Uh, I think JJ does this also. When you see a big differential in the bond bucket, you know that for the next day or so, you can put another 25 basis points into your branch, and it won't affect anybody's pricing. Nothing at all. So take advantage of that. So you can increase your margins. Also, if sometimes, you know, if, if you look and the, and the bond buckets are, are pretty wide apart, you can stick another 10 basis points, 15 basis points in your branch. It goes right to your bottom line. Just don't let it affect pricing. Uh, LP2 direct submit. Uh, this is something that we are all working on in the core. I've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, it will save you money, but more importantly, it will help your client contact. I mean, think about it. LP1, LP2, they talk to the loan officer that's only three people. How many times when you have processors get uh, a realtor call up and ask for an update, and the LP2 said, hold on, let me go talk to the processor. I'll find out for you. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense, and hopefully there's no processors on this call right now, but what do they do? The LP2s are doing 95% of the work. It doesn't make any sense. So we made all our uh, processors LP2s. I think we only lost one in the transition. It is the smartest thing to do for your bottom line P&L, but also for your client experience. Number eight. Scott, that, it, it makes the handoff so much easier. A person that's going to be managed the file takes it once it's blocked. That's who works with them. It's way better on the client experience. It's better financially, too. But one of the biggest and best changes we made was getting rid of that extra step. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, automation, good CRM, um, it actually reduces staff. Uh, number nine, obviously, discretionary marketing expenses. Uh, 
Um, so I take I take time uh, every week, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I look, I always look at marketing expenses. What's my return on investment? What am I doing? Um, so I, that's a it's a big thing that we look at when we examine a PL. Um, hey, Scott, on that one real quick, though, like a lot of times people do stuff because they've always done it. Like I sent coffee mugs to every closed loans for 12 years of my 14-year career. I just always did it, and I really stopped paying attention to it because it was such a part of my process. Last year, I think we spent 9000 on coffee mugs, and I went back and looked at the surveys, and I surveyed some clients. We might have had three people say anything about it. So I cut the coffee mugs out. It's not like $9,000 is going to make you retire, but you and I talked about it a lot. It's, it's death by a 1,000 paper cuts, right? Like right. you lose 9000 here, you lose 5000 on your appraisal, you price bad here, and it just adds up. And the, the worst part about it is no one's going to fill it right now because everyone's making so much money. But if the P&L gets really sloppy right now, as soon as the margins tighten up, then it, it's going to hit somebody right in the face where they don't have time to fix it. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to show you this last one. Um, you're probably going to have a lot of questions about it, but I thought it was important that I share it with you. So I, so a couple of years ago, Rick uh, said, I don't want you to give a profile bonus. I want you to give a team bonus. And I was one of the few people that actually did it right away because I implement quickly. Um, so I, a bonus is given for a – it's not an entitlement. It's for above and beyond work. So what I did was I added up all my bonuses. It came to about six basis points. So that's my bonus pool, six basis points of my gross. So this particular uh, branch did uh, $17 million in August, six basis points. The total was $10,000. It's right up here. Now, in order to get that bonus, you have to do, as an LP2, you have to do three things. You have to get one CCR. It's a must. If you don't get a CCR, you are not entitled to the bonus pool. So I will tell you that only once in the past two years has anybody not hit that, but I'm dead serious about it. Now, if everybody gets you a CCR, one or two, and we have a bonus plan for two or more, um, you're going to close a lot more loans, obviously, um, and generally those CCRs pay for my entire production staff. So my my expenses minus commissions were 64 basis points because we caused eight CCRs last month. Okay? Um, so just three things. First thing is CCRs, one CCR. The LP2s have to close eight files, and their pre-approval of the funding from us has to be 65% as a minimum. LP1s are all differently. So they have to do, they have to get a CCR. They're talking to every client. They're talking to every realtor. Uh, they have to do 60 talk tos and they have to do their uh, pre-approval of the funding and their lead tracker metric. And so they get a nice bonus. Um, they will get 2200 it's almost $2,300 bonus. Now, if they close more than their metric, they, they do get a profile bonus. Okay, um, so these are the three P&L improvements. Number one, payroll headcount. Okay, very, very important. Marketing expenses and a pricing strategy. Okay, I want to save a lot of time for uh, Q&A. Yeah, Scott, I think we're down to, we've got 
two more minutes, and then they'll have 15 minutes. So, for I'll the the so I'm a pro at this. I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I could have spent the whole <laughs> all my mistakes. Um, so the first thing was, by the way, uh, so the first thing is I received my P&L. My eyes went right down to the bottom line. Right now, to be quite frank with you, I still do that. My, my line goes right down to how much money I make. Okay, now I'll drill down on it a little bit. But I always, I, I never really looked at the details. Now I do. I didn't, this is really important, I didn't dedicate P&L time on my calendar. I was I was working on my business, not in my business, and that's what I needed to do. I need to work on my business. Um, I schedule 30 minutes every Friday to review my P&L quickly. There could be a ton of mistakes in there. Then at the, on the 16th of the month, of the next month, I get you know all the accrued payrolls in, and I will spend an hour and a half, and I will drill down on it. And that is something that you must do. And I didn't have a firm lock policy. It went to credit policy for my LOs. Uh, Stuart, your mistakes? Yeah, um, Scott, the P&L was something, even when I got in the core, that my accountant sent over my books. I plugged it into the formula. I turned it in. I never looked at it. I kind of, like you said, quickly looked to see if we were making money. But in 2018, I was doing well on production, but the company got out of line, and I literally had to personally write a $50,000 check back to my company. And it was just eye-opening for me. So I was a good salesperson and a really bad businessman. So, like, that was my eye-opening mistake. You told me that. Uh, bad pricing model. I told everyone I started as a broker. Um, the broker mindset kind of comes in to be cheap rates instead of better experience. So where I really had to focus on it is that we we can charge very competitive rates and still make sure we're making the money and not do so many price concessions. Right. Yeah, and then number three, and this is the biggest one from coaching with you that I'm still not perfect, but scheduling time every week and every month to have detailed time to look at my P&L, not just homework's due on Thursday, I need to get it in by Tuesday, so I slam it together instead of really analyzing it. So like anything else, right, if it's important, you got to put a process around it, you got to time block for it, and I want to time block more for the P&L. that branch that I showed you, a 20 basis points different meant that 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 manager, she made an extra $240,000, almost a quarter of a million dollars on top of her original profit, on top of a comp, just for 20 basis points. So that's really big. So Q&A time. Okay. We talked about metrics, tactics, and how to financially manage. So Q&A, this is the fun part. Okay. So let me, uh, let me stop sharing my screen. Okay, now I can see everybody. That's great. Okay, so I'll take some questions. Um, I have one question here. Um, when you schedule your weekly, uh, your weekly 30 P&L, oh, 30 minute P&L and an hour and a half monthly, what do you look for? Um, I look for my head in the half hour every Friday. I look for any fee that doesn't look right. I look for appraisal, any kind of appraisal fee. It drives me nuts. I go ballistic. Um, I look for, uh, I have a, again, a profitability report, um, that we have that is automated. I look for that. Um, on the hour and a half one, I drill down on everything. I will literally look at what my credit report, report, uh, bill was compared to the last month. I look at my UPS bill, look at my, uh, marker. So that's what I look at. Um, one more question. Okay. 
I've won that. Do you have all this stuff automated? Yeah, it's all automated. I only look at a couple of things. Um, what else do you do? What other metrics do you do to run your brand? So I have this. I didn't make it part of the presentation. This is coming off my screen. I'll just tell you really quickly. Um, I look at I look at six things on a productivity report. I look at lead to credit poll, credit poll to application, lead to pre-approval, pre-approval to funding, lead to funding, and then lock to funding. Right? So I want to know, okay, because we we're hedging. I want to know I'm at 93.1 percent, which is about where I want to be. So and I have metrics for everything, um, and then I have a file flow dashboard. Right, so um, every loan, it's application to processing. How long are we holding on to that thing? That's a big thing. If you want to have a great file flow, you're going to need that. Um, disclosures out, appraisals ordered, appraisal uh, return, center underwriting, approval, clear to close. And then the only metrics that show up on my board are application to funding, okay, and underwriting to funding. So when that file goes to the first initial underwrite, I want to see when it gets it clear to close. If it takes too long, we're not doing a good job. Okay? All right, let's get some more questions. Scott, uh, one I want to ask your thoughts on real quick. They're asking what are thoughts on LB2s working remotely outside of COVID? Like, do are, are you think you're going to have culture shift and people are going to work from home some, or is everyone going to come back in? So I, I, I have strong feelings on this. Um, I think that they are more productive working from home right now. The part that we don't know is what this is going to do to our culture. I'm afraid of it. We have an amazing culture, and I think I'm losing a little bit of that culture. I mean, people have been here for a long time. Um, I'm not ready to bring people back. I don't think – I mean, we have a couple of people back. So I have 44 people in this office – we have seven now. So they're all working. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my experience. So even prior to COVID, I got introduced to an amazing LP. She was a processor at that point, and then I made her into the LP2 direct submit. She's an hour and a half away from me. So she had to go remote even prior to COVID. And then she had been in the business, so she hired another LP. I have had no issues with it. We do Zoom meetings. They're involved in everything. I do think you lose a little bit of the culture piece, but I do think there's certain people. It's personality type, right? Like you might can get a really good employee that working from home is a game changer for them, and they're still going to work hard. Like the hardest issue I have with her is she works too much right now. Like I have to say, hey, just because you're working from home, you can't be logged in all the time. I'm going to burn you out. So it's, it's interesting on that. But my thoughts for the right person, it can work. But long term, it is going to be a culture impact. And you know what? Um, I know they're working a lot of extra hours. Sometimes they're logging on at 11 o'clock at night. They get up, they roll out of bed, they're working on it. And um, there's a part of me that I know is not the right thing. And then there's another part of me that goes, just go pump out those files, you know? So, I mean, I would love to say I am, uh, you know, like that great, uh, you know, really great leader. I'm not a great leader because there's a part of me that's taking advantage of it now too. And I think we're, we're all doing that. Um, okay. Let's see. Lisa Wells, can you show the team bonus page? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my email address. And you can send me an email, and I will send you the that bonus page. 
uh, and anything else you want. Just write down in your email what you want out of this PowerPoint, and I will send it to you. Scott, I'll do it for you in the comments. Do you want your foreman email address? Yeah, give me the foreman team. Uh, so it's sforeman at foremanteam.com. Yeah, I'll cut it and paste it in the um, the notes for him too. Okay. And, uh, and Stuart, if you have any questions from you, uh, they can email you as well. But anything that was in this slide, um, I can give you. And if you need a separate call with me, I'd be happy to explain it. Um, let's see what other, uh, okay. And I'll send the whole slideshow to the, uh, to the core, to the concierge. So you could ask them for the whole slideshow or just ask me if you're going to email me. Um, okay. What are your basis for the bonus structure? Um, so those are those three criteria, right? One was a CCR. One was you had to close a minimum of 18 loans. Uh, on, on one of them, I, um, uh, on the, uh, our concierge, our client care manager, they have to get nines and tens on their surveys. If a survey comes back and it's under nine, they, they're not entitled to their bonus. So it helps them from getting short with other clients. So that helps also. Um, Ms., I'd like to know uh, which process for serving for surveying clients. So we do a survey monkey, and we also do to our clients, to our actual clients, we still do a snail mail one. It takes a little bit longer, uh, but it, it really works in any, and we keep track of them. So if any of them don't come back, we'll call them and do a verbal survey. And I think I got and we use a couple. Yeah, we use a company called Top of Mind, which I'm sure y'all have heard of, and they do some other post-closing follow-up. But the survey is part of it, and it used to be snail mail, and they went automated, and I missed the snail mail one. I liked it a lot better. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and Hunter, how do you how do you look at your metrics? Um, it, it is automated. So it's automated, comes up on a screen, and I want I don't want to have a lot of metrics, right? So in that book, The Rockefeller Habits, it's scaling up. It says have a few set of rules and just talk about them over and over again. So I have a few metrics that everybody knows, like pre-approval of the funding. That is, a, that literally tells us how we're doing. That literally is on everybody's uh, screen, television screen, and it gets uh, updated every single morning. So it gets refreshed every morning. So that helps. I hope we gave you a lot of, of great tactics. Um, you're going to get a survey. What's good is we get to see it live. So uh, we we really appreciate it if you gave us a five. It makes us, uh, you know, we put a lot of work into it. We want to give you a lot of tactics. Um, Stuart, any any last comments? Uh, the biggest thing is if, if, if I'm everyone, I email you and get a copy of this PowerPoint because, Scott, you just – there's so much good um, just content in there. And it's just very straightforward. Like, I like how you've broken it out into a system. I think we've got a few more minutes. And I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Your CCR program is one of the things that excites me the most. Because to give your bonus, you have that many people getting CCRs on the team. Do you have a training process, scripting? Do you have everything that, like, a full training program for that? How are you getting them to get those CCRs? Because my team does okay at it. But, like, being able to get it every month is pretty amazing. So they do, they train every single day. Um, if you remember, probably when I coached you, I sent you a, uh, a pen and it was a CCR pen. It was a Tuesday update pen. Yep. You remember that? Yep. 
everybody's. Everybody's desk has a CCR pad. It is part of their job. They know they will not get their bonus without it. Okay, so, I mean, that's that's really what we do. We work on scripting a lot. Um, you know, we work on, in our team meeting, um, you know, let's talk about a, a, a tough client you had. What did they say? How do you overcome it? This is how we should do it. And it's really just being really relaxed and really hitting these things one at a time. Uh, so that's been that's a that's been a, a real big thing. I think training is the biggest thing. Uh, but making CCRs part of their job is going to help your PL bottom line. It's also you're going to close more. You're going to make more money. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's see, we got any other questions? Uh, Steve Zinn, can you send us this? H part chart. What kind of chart is that? <laughs> we have to work on your title. Yeah, I don't see. You have very big fingers. Okay, so. <laughs> um, or it's five. Or it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five. Oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. Let's see what, if I can get. Uh, okay. Oh, got, H chart. Uh, I think he was just asking, asking for the um, probably the bonus chart. So what they're asking for will be part of the presentation. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll send you the, the entire PowerPoint, and I will. And then you can set up a call with me. I mean, this is so important. This is so critical that you run your branches the right way. Because listen, you know, I, I ran a branch. I remember doing this and closing a lot of loans. Um, I thought I locked okay, and I ended up losing money. And I'm thinking, how can I be doing that? Well, we really weren't locking okay. I was giving lender credits. I didn't have a locking policy. Um, I wasn't on top of all my appraisals. And you look at each one of those things, and it's three basis points here. Three basis points there. Next thing you know, that 40 basis points profit is turning into a, a 10 basis point profit, and I didn't become a manager to make 10 basis points. Okay? So that is really it. Um, and you see any final questions? Thank you, Lisa. Um, let's see. Let's see if I got any other ones that we didn't answer. Uh, base pay as well as salary. That's always a big one. Depends where you are, right? Um, I usually start our LP1s at 45, plus they get part of the bonus. Um, LP2s, you know, they're starting around 55, and they get a bonus. Now, I do, uh, you get, as an LP2, you get two shares. As an LP1, you get one share. So this LP2 has a higher skill set. I almost forgot about that. You'll see that when you get our sheet. Okay, well, you guys have been great. I wish I, I could have unmuted everybody. I, I can't wait until we see everybody. I miss everybody's face. I just miss seeing everybody. Um, thank you so much, and, and thanks for the, the great scores you gave us, and I'm glad you got a lot out of this. Hey, thanks, everybody. Um, Scott, thanks again. If you guys aren't taking advantage of the extra coaching sessions and calling Scott to go over some of this again, you're missing out. So I will be scheduling some more time to dig into this because the big thing is, again, I think everybody on this call is a great salesperson. I think everybody on this call has probably got some really good leadership skills. Me personally, I've just got to work on being a better businessman and really digging into this P&L. So thank you all for the time. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, guys. 
have been listening to the Corps Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.thecorestraining.com.